Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 30. It says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of, of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes, removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made no, now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went, up, went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought, brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king, to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. 
And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Now, I know some of you are saying, are you going to tell us what the dream was? Well, you have to read ahead and come back in two weeks when we meet again for our Bible study. There is so much from right here that we're going to just take the time we have tonight to just dig into what's here. Now, before we start unpacking the things that God wants us to see from these verses, there's something that happens here linguistically that isn't noticeable in our English translations. Go over to Daniel chapter 2 and look at verse 4. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic. And then from that point, after the word Aramaic, up to this point, all of the writing has been in Hebrew. But in Daniel's writing this book, from this point on until chapter 7, verse 28, all the words are in Aramaic. When it says, he, they, he said, they said to the king in Aramaic, and then it says, O king, that, from that point on, is all written in Aramaic, all the way to chapter 7, verse 28, at the end of that chapter. And then it says in verse 28, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. When you get to chapter 8, verse 1, and the rest of the book, that's all written in Hebrew. So very interesting that the first part is written in Hebrew. Halfway through chapter 2, verse 4, all the way to the end of chapter 7 is then written in Aramaic. And then after that is written in Hebrew again. Now there's speculation as to why, and I think the speculation is probably correct. Aramaic was the language of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians and the Assyrians for the most part, and it was a very known language to them. And I, I think if we were to take the time and look, you'd see chapter 1 deals with matters that concern the Hebrews and the Jews. Once you get into this next section, it's going to be matters that concern the Chaldeans and the Babylonians and so on. And all through that, it's, it's in their language that they can see and read it and see what God did. And then when you get to chapter 8, it's going to deal more with matters having to deal with Israel in the days to come in the latter days. So it's a very interesting thing. Again, in our English, you would never see it. But in the actual original text, it goes Hebrew, Aramaic in the middle section that deals with all their stuff, and then back to Hebrew. Just an interesting little tidbit, and we can leave that. All right, now look again at verse 1. Remember, even though verse 1 says that this, it's the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, what year was it? Third, very good. Now, it's the second year, it says here, but it's the third year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And Daniel and his friends have just finished their three-year training by now. Now, it also appears that this might be the king's first introduction to Daniel, as, we're gonna, as we see in our study here. But we also are going to see in our study tonight that God's orchestrating all this. Now, keep in mind, Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, have been taken <laughs> captive. They're in Babylon. They've gone through the three years of their training and all that stuff. At the end of their three years, they're going to serve as some of the king's wise men. He's not met them yet. But right at their time that their, their training ends, the king has this dream, and it bothers him so much, he quickly calls in his wise men. Of course, Daniel and those guys aren't called in at this point. They're young. They haven't really been introduced to him yet. And so the king calls his wise men and says, I've had this dream. I want you to tell me what it is, and I want you to tell me the interpretation. They said, tell us the dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. He said, no, that's not how we're going to do it. And he said, my answer is firm. My decision is firm. The way I'll know that you're giving me a correct interpretation is you've got to tell me what the dream was first and then tell me the interpretation. Now, I've got to be honest with you. There's a side of me that says I kind of like that. 
I've always struggled with people taking the scriptural teaching on tongues and saying that if somebody just speaks in an unknown tongue, and as long as there's someone there to interpret. Well, if you do a study of the Bible and the C word tongue, it actually means languages. And every time someone spoke in a language, it was a known language. But the interpretation that a lot of Christians do is they'll say, well, some guy just utters some nonsense and then someone stands up and interprets it for him. How do we know that's the correct interpretation? Do you understand? So his way of making sure that they're just not coming up with some phony interpretation is to say, the way I'll know that you are giving me the correct interpretation is, tell me what the dream was and then the interpretation. By the way, as I've already touched on and we're going to see tonight, God is behind all this. Satan's going to put his fingerprints in there. But God's orchestrating this, I believe, for many reasons, as you're going to see tonight. And we'll deal with some of them. But it's also a great way for the king to be introduced to Daniel. All right. By the way, before we go any further, God does speak through dreams. In the past, especially, God spoke a lot through dreams. Let me just show you some examples. Go to Job chapter 33. I'm just going to read to you verses 14 through 18, but I really want you to go back later on and look at the rest of that chapter, and you'll see one of the greatest preaching of the gospel in the Old Testament of how there's a mediator, one of a thousand, to say, don't have this person go down to the pit. I've paid a ransom for him. And the person says, I've sinned and didn't do what was right, yet it wasn't repaid to me. And, and wonderful preaching of the gospel in the Old Testament here in Job. But in Job 33, look at verses 14 through 18. Elihu is speaking, and he's speaking to Job, and he says, For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. So Elihu says God does speak. He speaks in lots of ways. And one of the ways he speaks is he speaks through dreams. Go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, look at verses 7 through 13. It says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. By the way, we'll get to this later in our study of Daniel. I think you could tie these wise men who's coming from the east back to Daniel and his teaching when he was there. But that's going to be a whole fun study when we get to that section. But these wise men are part of that same group. Of course, it's many, many years later. But these wise men have an understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, which I'm going to show you later on. I can show you comes from Daniel. But later on, we'll get to that. But so the wise men are told, go search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place, sorry, it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Jump down to verse 19. In verse 19 of chapter 2. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph 
in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So here we see very clearly that God spoke many times in the past through dreams. And actually, folks, in certain parts of the world, God is still using dreams. I know of a story, true story, of a missionary family that, that I know personally, and they were doing mission work over in, in the area of Morocco. I'm not saying the exact country, but in that area. And they had a bunch of Bibles that they had loaded in their vehicle to go and bring to the people there. And they went and they passed them all out. As they were driving back home, their vehicle broke down on the side of this deserted road. And a man is walking up to them on the road. And the man says to them, are you Christians? And they said, yes. He, he said, then you're the people that are going to give me a Bible. And they said, oh, we're really, really sorry, but we already gave them all out. He said, there's one under the driver's seat. Because last night in a dream, God showed me that if I walked down this road, there were going to be Christians who were going to be there. and They're going to give me a Bible. And the Bible was under the driver's seat. And they looked under the driver's seat and there it was. Oh, and guess what? Once he was given his Bible, the car worked. God would use dreams. Now, God still uses dreams. But now the whole, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us believers... He speaks to us and guides us by his word and by his spirit leading us. You don't have to just sit back and wait on dreams now. You have the living God himself within you. And he's made promises to us that he's going to speak to us through his word as we spend time in his word and in prayer and through his spirit. Let me just give you a couple examples. Turn over to John 14. I really want you to believe what Jesus has said. Don't just know what Jesus said, but believe it. Because I still think many Christians today think God speaks to Jim Johnson more than he speaks to you. And that's not the case. There may be those who have learned to understand and hear God's voice better, but that doesn't have favorites. He has intimates, and you can be one of those intimates. You don't have to have been to seminary to be an intimate. Actually, I think going to seminary sometimes hurts that. Go to John 14. Look at verses 15 through 21. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper. By the way, that word another in the Greek is just like me, another of the same kind to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be where? In you. I love this verse. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you'll know that I'm in my father and you're in me and I'm in you. Jump down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you what? All things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Folks, that's why we're to read the word of God. Don't kill yourself trying to memorize it. Just put it in your heart. Read it, study it, meditate on it, love it, treasure it. And if you put it in, the Spirit of God will bring it to your remembrance. And many times as we're praying about things, God will use his word to speak to that issue. And other times, as we've just seen, he's going to teach us and guide us. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to John chapter 16 real quick and look at verses 12 through 14. John chapter 16, verse 12 through 14. Jesus said, I have still many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now, when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. By the way, that's why I'm looking forward to our study of Daniel. Have you already heard in the verses we've looked at for tonight? 
These visions and this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had been given concern the latter days. There's a ton of prophecy in Daniel dealing with the last days and what we're heading into. And some of us, are, we're in parts of it right now. Jump over to Acts chapter 15. I want you to see how the early church started to understand the leadership of the Holy Spirit and speaking through the word. In Acts chapter 15, they were wrestling with this issue of whether or not the Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And the early church and the apostles gathered together and the elders in the church in Jerusalem got together to wrestle with this issue. And in chapter, 12, chapter 15, verse 12, it says, All the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after this I'll return and I'll rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I'll rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you'll do well. Farewell. So as they were wrestling over this issue, the Holy Spirit guided them. That's why they said in their letter, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And how did they hear? How did the Holy Spirit reveal it to them? Through the Word. It lined up with what they were hearing people share and what God was saying to them in their spirit. That's why there's value in Christians getting together and praying together. You're going to see that tonight. And, and Christians getting together and praying together to seek the will of God. Because it's dangerous for one person to say, I've heard from God, follow me. God lives with all in all of us. And that's why there's value in us gathering together and saying, Let's pray about this together. And when there's a consensus and it's pretty clear that God has spoken, then you can move forward because he will speak the same thing to us. Go to Acts chapter 8. You're in Acts 15. Back up to Acts chapter 8. Look at verses 26 through 29. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So here's an interesting thing. We don't know how this happened, whether it was in a dream or whether he was awake at the time. But at this point, Philip's told by an angel of the Lord to go head south down the desert road to go from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he goes. In verse 27, he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, 
go over and join this chariot. So, of course, he then goes. But look, the spirit told him, go over and join this chariot. I'm going to chase a rabbit real quick, but this one's worth catching. Any of you ever else struggled with the homeless people on the side of the road asking for money, whether you're supposed to do something? And for years, I would listen to Satan, who loves to pretend to be God. You do know that, right? And he would say things like this. If you were a good Christian, you'd help him. That's not how God speaks. Maybe I should do something about this. Again, not God speaking. You know what I've learned over the years is I've learned to recognize his voice. When he speaks, it's clear, direct, simple, and he'll say, do this. And he'll specifically tell you what to do. The spirit told Philip, go over to the chariot. He didn't sit there going, well, maybe I should do something about this. And so as you're looking at people that are there on the side of the road, in each instance, pray. Don't have, well, my policy is. No, you don't want to live by a policy. You want to live by the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit. And when He's telling you to do something, do it. If He doesn't tell you to do something, it's okay to keep moving on. By the way, did Jesus heal everybody that was sick? No. But He only did what the Father had Him to do. So, as I touched on earlier, go back to Daniel chapter 2. This whole episode was started by God. This whole thing was started by God. Now, Satan tries to do his part in this story, as you're going to see. But God is the one who is doing this, and he has purposes for it. Look at verse 45 of Daniel 2. We didn't get there tonight. We're not going to cover it in detail. We only are going to get as far as verse 30. But look at Daniel 2, verse 45. Look at what God says through Daniel. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So, who has made known to Nebuchadnezzar the dream? God did. Who gave Nebuchadnezzar that dream? God did. You're going to see he has a big purpose, more than just what we just touched on. Go back to Daniel chapter 2 and look at verses 28 and 29 again. And again, look at who's doing the work. Daniel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Daniel again says to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, says actually, yeah, to Nebuchadnezzar, he says, But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. So who gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream? Was it his pizza the night before? No, this was an actual vision of God that he was given. It was so real, so clear. Obviously, God's do, or he, he just didn't know who at the time, but we know from the scriptures it was God doing this. And God had a purpose and a reason, and there are many levels to God's purposes in this. We've already touched on some. Introduce him to Daniel. He's just showing him what's going to be. As you're going to see, and I'll just touch on it real quickly, when we get together next time and we start looking at the actual dream, you're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar is given a vision of what's going to happen to his kingdom and then the next kingdom and the next kingdom and so on. Ironically, and this, we'll deal with this more when we get there to chapter 3, even though Nebuchadnezzar is given the vision that he's the head of gold and then after them is going to be a lesser kingdom of silver and a lesser kingdom and so on, in the very next chapter, knucklehead Nebuchadnezzar builds a, a statue that looks like what he saw in the dream. And instead of having a head of gold and a body of silver and so on, does anybody know what the whole body is? 
The whole thing's gold. In other words, yeah, no, it's all going to be me. And God has to deal with him, and we're going to get to that when we get to that part of Daniel. God has many, many purposes in mind in what he's doing here, but God is orchestrating it. Now, Satan, again, with God's permission, tries to turn this into a death sentence for Daniel and his three friends. And he doesn't care if he takes out all the other guys in the process. God's purposes, though, will be accomplished, listen closely, if we keep our hearts and our eyes on God and walk in obedient faith, not giving in to the fear that Satan wants to sow. You want to talk about Satan's fingerprints in this? Nebuchadnezzar is given a dream by God. I think wisely, he says, I want you guys to tell me what's the dream and the interpretation so I'll know you're not making something up. But if you don't, I'm going to kill all of the magicians, all of the enchanters, all of the wise men, and I'm not just going to kill you. I'm going to have you torn limb from limb. Oh, and if that's not enough, we're going to level your houses after that so your family doesn't even have a place to live. Does that sound a little bit like Satan? You, you, if not, let me just remind you of a couple of stories in the Bible. You know that we read there in Matthew chapter 2, how the wise men went looking for the king. And Herod says, oh, go find him for me. And when you find him, I want to come worship him too. God in a dream tells him, don't do that. You need to go home a different way. Herod wants to kill the child. And he tells Joseph in a dream, get out of there. Herod wants to kill him. Well, Herod finds out that the guys didn't come back. And what does Herod do? He kills all the babies in that area from two years old and down. By the way, I don't think it was because it had been two years. I honestly think it's because that's how Herod worked and that's how Satan works. Oh, do y'all remember the story about how in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, Job comes before God? And Job says, hey, the only reason that, uh, that Job worships you like this is because you have blessed him. Let me do something in his life and he'll curse you to your face. And God says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you permission to do whatever you want. You just can't touch him. And what does Satan do? Kills all of his kids, takes all of his possessions. God's the one orchestrating this, but for God's purposes, he's allowed Satan to get involved to a certain limit. And Satan's plan is, this is my chance to kill Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah by using the wacky king to make a verdict uh, or an edict that everybody's going to be killed if they don't give the interpretation. But if you notice as we read this, how calm Daniel is? Did you ever notice that word gets to him that, hey, you're going to all be put to death? And he says, why is the matter so urgent? Daniel doesn't even say, why? What did we do? He just says, why is the matter so urgent? Well, here's why. The king had this dream and blah, blah, blah. And he says, go tell the king that I'm going to give me an appointment with him and I'll give him the interpretation. Why? Because he has a strong faith in a big God who has already made promises to him and he then God's going to keep them. Now, as I touched on earlier, well, let me just touch on this real quick. Finish where we just left off. God has a purpose, correct? But Satan's been allowed to get involved. What is Satan's purpose? Is it bad or good? Bad. You do know from Joseph's story, in chapter 50 of Genesis, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 50, after Joseph's come into power in Egypt and his brothers realize that dad has just died, they're sure that Joseph's going to use his power and authority and have them all put to death because of how they treated him. And he says, no, uh-uh. You meant this for evil, but God used it for good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, you know it well, I know you do. God 
will cause all things to work for the good for those who love him and are the called according to his purposes. God's orchestrating many things in our lives for many reasons, many levels. If someone says, oh, I know what God's doing, you've just shown your ignorance. He's doing way more than just one thing. But when we humble ourselves and acknowledge that our Father loves us, I had the privilege today of speaking to those guys that I speak to regularly on Tuesdays at lunch at Men in Motion, the Central Baptist. And if you're ever able to be there, it's a great, good lunch. And, uh, and once in a while, there'll be a guy named Jim Johnson who gets to preach there when he's in town. And today, God actually had me show them how much value they had before God and how much he loves them. But we dealt with the fact that in Matthew 6 and in Matthew 7, Jesus keeps pointing out that our Father, our Heavenly Father, is our Father. But what we did was we just stopped for a second and let the Scriptures speak to that. You see, because we have a tendency to say, well, I know the right answer. God's our Father, our Father who art in heaven and all that stuff. No, no, no. We then went and looked at the Scriptures and how they talked about what a father's responsibility was. And how in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, the Scripture says that if a father won't take care of his family and won't provide even for his close relatives, he's to be treated like an unbeliever because he's a jerk. What does that say about your heavenly father? If he strictly says you need to provide for your family, what does that say about him? He will provide for his family. Oh, by the way, didn't we just read in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to just give birth to you and leave you on your own. Folks, keep this in your mind. If you're a child of God through Jesus Christ, Satan has no authority over you unless what God has given. And God will have a purpose that is for good that's why we can count it joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, because they produce patience, endurance, character, and character hope. That's why the Bible says that those of us who are trained by God's discipline will produce holiness and righteousness for those of us who have been trained by it. I was talking with a man last, a couple nights ago who in the hospital, and, and he was, had just had a heart attack. And actually, it's a man that comes to this Bible study, and he and his wife aren't here tonight because, praise the Lord, he's home and he's doing great, but he had had a heart attack on Sunday and went to go visit him and the neat thing that we could talk about while he sat there in the hospital was this. He was in the best position. If he lived, he gets to hang out with his family that loves him. If he dies, he goes to be with the Lord. What's going to happen to us that's going to be bad, folks? Yet what, we, what happens to us is when Satan puts his fingerprints into what God's doing, we have a tendency to look at the negative and the fear. And just like the... Peter, who stood on, walked on the water, but then took his eyes off of Jesus and put him on the wind and the waves. Many of us doubt and worry and panic. So, folks, again, God has a purpose. And if our eyes and our hearts are on him and we walk in obedient faith, not giving in to fear that Satan wants to sow, he will turn it out for our best. But you got to hang on. I think Romans 8 puts it this way. If God's for us, who can be against us? Now, the king tells no one the dream, but he wants his wise men to tell him the dream as well as the interpretation. Like I said, this way he'll know the interpretation is correct and not, and not inaccurate. But if they don't tell him, he's going to do all this stuff that we've already looked at. Now, again, his wise men ask for him to tell the dream and they'll give him the interpretation. But the king won't budge. Go back to Daniel chapter 2. Look at verses 10 and 11. I love what the, the wise men say to him. Listen to again what they say. And listen to how it sets the stage for what some of the things God's trying to do. The Chaldeans answered the king and they said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has ever even asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. 
The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. In other words, they say, what you've just asked for is impossible. And God says, good. Because I think Jesus himself said what's impossible with man is possible with God. You remember we already read in John chapter 14 how the Holy Spirit was with the disciples, but one day he was going to be in them? What did they just say? The only person, the only people that could ever do what the king asked is the gods. They believed in these many gods, even though they didn't know there's only one. But if these gods don't dwell in humans. Folks, do you realize what a gift we've been given? To not only be forgiven of our sins, but to have God himself live in us and seal us and protect us. Folks, again, that's why we can rest in the fact that Satan can do nothing to you without your heavenly father's permission. When Jesus walked on the earth, he was 100% man and 100% God. And even though the humans only saw the physical Jesus, the spiritual realm, the demons saw the spiritual who he was. And they knew he was God. That's why when he walked into a place, the guy with the legion of demons says, we know who you are. They all freaked out, didn't they? Have you come to send us to the abyss before the appointed time? Have you ever thought about the fact that since Jesus lives within you and lives within me, as we walk around, the demons see the same thing? and They can't touch us without permission. Now, don't get all brazen and say, oh, I'm going to go in and cast Satan out. No, be careful. The Bible says, submit yourself to the Lord, resist the devil, and he'll flee. He doesn't run because you all of a sudden start talking big. God may have to let him win a few times in your life before you realize you don't get to cast Satan out. Even Michael wouldn't even try that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verses 11 and 12. 1 Corinthians 2, listen to verses 11 and 12. For who knows the, a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. How is Daniel able to interpret this dream? Because God's spirit had empowered him to do so. We have God's spirit within us. And God wants to reveal his truth to us. Didn't we already read that tonight in John 14 and John 16? The Holy Spirit's going to teach us all things. He's going to take for us the fathers and make it known to us. He's going to show us what's to come. Folks, I want you to start getting excited about the fact that you have the ability to understand things. And by the way, if you pray and seek and he doesn't answer right away, relax. His reasons and his timing are perfect. Just believe that he'll speak. But if you don't believe, you'll quit praying. I love what happens in chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. The king has gotten angry, and he's decreed that all the wise men be killed. And this includes, by the way, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who just finished their schooling. But because of Daniel, the wise men were given a reprieve. Look at chapter 2 again, verses 12 through 16. Because the king of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is this decree of the king so urgent? 
Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now, I want to show you that this parallels something in the Bible. Turn with me to Acts chapter 27. In Acts 27, look at verses 39 through 44. Paul's a prisoner on a ship going to Rome, and the ship is about to be shipwrecked. But God's already told Paul that all the, if they just stay with the ship, they'll, they'll be spared. And in chapter 27, starting in verse 39, Now when it was day, they didn't recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the, to the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground, and the bow struck, uh, stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill all the prisoners, lest any should swim. By the way, if you go back earlier in this story, there are like 200 and something prisoners. But the, 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 the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or in pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. I'm going to go somewhere with this, and I want you to not take it too far, but don't be afraid to let God show you how far He wants you to take this. There's a blessing with being connected with men and women who walk with God closely. The Bible teaches it very clearly. Remember how we've already talked earlier in our study that God will honor those who honor Him? If you get connected with men and women of God who walk with God closely, not just people that say they're Christians, not with people that are church members, but I'm talking people that walk with God closely and you get connected with them, the Bible teaches there is a blessing that comes from being connected with people who walk closely with God. We see it here. How come all the Babylonian wise men weren't killed? Because Daniel was in their midst. How come all the prisoners weren't put to death? Because God's man was in their midst. Go with me real quickly to Genesis chapter 12. So real quick. Yes, sir. Paul was told he would not he would make it to Rome. Yes, he did. Where was Daniel said he was going to live as Babylon? Well, again, I, I can't, for, to get to that, I'll get to that later on. But um, Daniel knew what his, the Spirit of God was showing him in his private times as well. But he's been given lots of insight as to things that are coming. And... The short version, Michael, to your question is this. Um, there's a strong chance that Daniel was being shown through his three years of training and his obedience to what God had said, that he was going to use that for his purposes down the road. And so Daniel, knowing that by being obedient to the king's, sorry, to not follow the king's command, that God was showing him, I've got a purpose for you being there. And so if God said, I've got a purpose for you being there, he could calmly look at the king and say, let's take a deep breath here and know that he was going to be okay. That's the short answer. There's more to it than that. All right. But let's go to uh, um, Genesis chapter 12. Look at verses 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 12. God makes a promise to Abraham. At this point, his name is Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. And I'll bless those who what? Bless you. And in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, pointing to Jesus, all the families of the earth 
shall be blessed. So here in his promise about the coming Messiah coming from Abraham's lineage, he also says, those who bless you, I'll bless them. Why? Because my blessing is on you and my favor is on you. And those who bless you, I'll bless. Of course, we know that that's also tied to the nation of Israel. Jump over to Genesis chapter 30. Give you another example of what I'm talking about. Genesis chapter 30, look at verses 25 through 30. It says, As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I'll give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you, how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household as well? In other words, when can I take care of my own family instead of yours? Now go to Genesis 39. Laban had come to realize that his blessing, his prosperity is because of Jacob. But now look at Genesis 39 and Joseph's situation. Look at verses 1 through 5. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, as an Egyptian, had, been, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him, and that he, the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. By the way, when he believed his wife's lie instead of Joseph, he pretty much bit the hand that was feeding him, didn't he? By the way, when Joseph went to the dungeon... What happened there? The Lord was with him, and he prospered him. And the guards even were like, you know what, we're going to let you be in charge here a little bit. We see that with Paul when he goes into his prison in captivity where he's allowed to have people visit him and stuff. I don't want you to take it to an unbiblical realm, but folks, there's a blessing for the people that honor God. And there's a blessing for people that are connected with people that honor God. We'll just leave it at that for now. Go back to Acts chapter 5. I'll give you one more interesting example. God doesn't do this all the time, but he does sometimes. And look at Acts chapter 5. Look at verses 12 through 16. You want to talk about a, a blessing for just being in the presence of somebody that honors God. Listen to Acts chapter 5 verses 12 through 16. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even, they even carried, but the sick, sorry, carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I picture the woman with the issue of blood saying, I just want to just touch his garment. There's something to this. I also love what Daniel does next. Go back to Daniel chapter 2. Look at verses 17 through 19. He goes and he gets his praying friends. 
to join him in seeking God's wisdom. Look at Daniel 2, 2 verses 17 through 19. Then Daniel went to his house and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So Daniel goes and he gets his friends to go pray with him. Does that remind you of anybody else gathering some guys to go pray with him? Jesus, he did that. Yeah, he did that on that night in the garden. Come and pray with me. Of course, they, they didn't do a great job. Yeah, they fell asleep. I'm going to show you something, and I, I want you to seriously take this to heart. I pray that you will. Go to Hebrews 13. I want you to look at verses 17 through 18. Hebrews 13, verses 17 through 18. This is written to the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Look what, look what the Hebrew writer says next. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. We know, hopefully, you know, that the Bible says we're to pray for those who are in authority over us in the government. But the Bible also says that those of us in the church that aren't in leadership are to be praying for the leaders, praying for the elders, praying for the pastors, praying for those who have authority over us, and praying that they would be hearing from God, that they would be seeking God, that their decisions would be coming from Him. Do you do that? Or do you sit back and judge whether or not you think the pastor is doing a good enough job according to your definition of what he should be doing? Let me just say something. You didn't call him. Let me say something else about your pastor. You may not like him, but you didn't even give him his gifts. Yet we sit around and say, well, I think my pastor needs to visit more. I think my pastor needs to be a better preacher. I think my pastor needs to do this better or that better. Folks, let me just say something to you. You know how we looked at Romans 14, verse 4, who you to judge the servant of another to his own master he stands or falls? There's an even deeper danger of being the master of a servant of the Lord. That's why David wouldn't even touch Saul's garment. when He, he felt bad that he cut the hem when he had a chance to kill him. And he got mad at the guy that came and told him he was dead. If you've got a pastor over you, and I hope you do, because that means you're in a church, or pastors, I didn't ask you if you liked them. I didn't ask you if you respected them. I didn't even ask you if you thought they were doing a good job. Pray for them. And you will be blessed as your heart turns to the Lord and not to man. And God's power is released to work in their lives. Whatever needs to be done, God will take care of it. Listen to me. Some of you wives have husbands that need prayer. They don't need you to nag, it, nag them. Yeah, but he's a bum. That may be the case. Why don't you pray for him instead of you trying to fix him? Husbands, you might have some wives that need some work. But instead of you trying to authoritatively get them to act like they should, why don't you ask God to do a work in their heart? It'll release you the responsibility and allow God's power to move. By the way, when Daniel gets the answer to his prayer, I love, and we're going to take the time to go there because we've got to get done tonight, but when Daniel gets the answer to his prayer... He stops and he praises God. He doesn't just run. 
with his answer, he takes time to praise God. Do you remember Luke? Write this down, look at it later on. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, how Jesus healed these 10 lepers. And as they were on their way, they were healed. And one of them says, I can't just go show myself to the priest. I, I got to go back and say thank you. And Jesus said, weren't 10 of you guys healed? Where are the others? I think some of us have a tendency to seek an answer from God so much that we don't ever take the time when he answers to stop and acknowledge what an amazing gift it is that he did. Because he doesn't have to. I also love, look at Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, how when Daniel gets the answer to his prayer, sorry, not, we'll go to, sorry, Daniel chapter uh, 2, verses 24 through 30, when he gets his answer and he gives it to King Nebuchadnezzar, he could have taken the glory for himself, but he doesn't. He makes very sure that God is known as the one who did this and revealed to Daniel his purposes. Look at Daniel 2, verses 24 through 30. Therefore Daniel went to Ari into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I'll show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answers the king and says, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came the thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me... This mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. First off, do you see how Daniel could have taken the glory and said, I got the knowledge. Yes, I'm able, king, but he doesn't. He says, no, it wasn't me. No one's able to do this, but there is a God and he's revealed this. But there's a second part of what I just read to you that some of you might have missed. Look again closely at what Daniel says. Let me read it to you one more time. Verses 29 and following. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this, and he reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. In other words, he says, God did this. He's using me right now, but this is actually for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. This is for you. God could have left you hanging. But he actually wants you to know what's going to be. He wants you to respond appropriately to what he's going to show you. By the way, he, as we've already touched on, he doesn't right away. And as we're going to see later on, God has to send him through a seven-year period of living like an animal to finally come to the point where he acknowledges that there's a God and he's not it. But at the time, Daniel says, look, this vision that you were given and, and what God's doing, 
He's doing this for you. And the fact that he's told me what it is, what the dream was and the interpretation is so that you'll know what's going on in your mind. And anybody else got stuff they're wondering about? Anybody else got stuff they're chewing on? And we've got confusion. You've got a God who's in heaven, who loves you and he lives within you. And he will for your sake in his timing. And when you're ready to receive it, he will show you. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. But you have to believe it enough that you won't just ask. You'll also seek and you'll also knock. One of the pastors at our church this Sunday was preaching from this passage and he brought out a point and he said something. And I don't know if he even meant it the way he said it, but I heard something this Sunday that I had never seen before in that passage. He was talking about how we can ask, but sometimes we ask with the wrong motives and we don't get what we ask for. But if you're really going to ask, you're going to move to the next level, which is seeking. And when you're seeking, God begins to do a work in your heart, changing and shaping your heart to line up with his will for what he's wanting you to ask him for. But then there comes another level. And he made this statement. He said, when you get to the point where you're knocking, you're at the door. And then it hit me. That's when you're right ready to get the answer from God. How many of us get to the door and give up? You start to sense you really know what God's saying, what he's doing. It hadn't happened yet, but you start to sense what God's revealed and how your heart's lined up with him. And you're at that point of knocking. You're at the door. Don't quit then. He's about to speak. Daniel could have been satisfied with the fact that God revealed his truth. But he also was concerned with why God reveals this truth. We want God to reveal the answers to mysteries. Usually so we can decide what we want to do next. But when God reveals mysteries, he does it for his purposes. This is why he reveals things in his timing. I'm recording radio programs, and I actually had the privilege of recording 12 more this morning at the radio station. I'm actually already into May, so for those of you that are following the radio program, in May we're going to start into first, actually the end of April into May, we'll be starting in 1 Samuel and going through that book. And we started to see a little bit of what we're talking about here with Hannah and how she had not been able to bear a child, and Elkanah had another wife, Penina, and she's been able to have babies, so it definitely wasn't on Elkanah's side that she can't be, get pregnant. It's on her side, and she's a godly woman, and she's wanting a child, and she's praying, but her praying moves to seeking to the point that she's there at the, uh, the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and she's praying on the steps, and she's praying so fervently that no sound's coming out of her mouth, but her lips are moving, and the priest, Eli, thinks she's drunk. And she said, no. But by the time she's been praying after all these years, she's now gotten to the point where she all of a sudden now, what she's been wanting lines up with what God had in mind all along and that she did get blessed with a child and that be a child that is special and that he's made for his purposes. And aren't we glad for Samuel and the nation of Israel? She moved from that asking to seeking to the knocking and she broke through and God granted her request. And on top of that, he then also made her get pregnant, had three more sons and two more daughters. But God took her through a time to get her ready for what he had in mind. Listen closely. God doesn't have to tell you everything. If you've got a problem with that, take it up with him. Oh, and by the way, let me give you a little hint. He's going to win. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed... To us 
and to our children. We see in the book of Revelation, there was something the seven thunders spoke, and John went to write it down, and he was told, nope, don't write it down. You're not to know that. And I don't know how many Bible students have asked me, what do you think it is that they wrote? Or that he wrote, or what is the thing they said? The Bible says we're not to know. Why are we going to kill ourselves trying to figure it out? I'm okay with saying I don't know. But there are things that I can know. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, that it's to the glory of God to conceal a matter. I want a God that knows stuff I don't know. But then the rest of that verse goes on. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. When God reveals mysteries, he does it for his purposes. And this is why he reveals things in his timing and his way. You may be waiting on God to answer a question of yours. Let me ask you this question. Are you really ready to hear the answer? Are you really ready to hear the answer? When you are, he'll answer. Why don't you start working in your prayer time? Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But ask God to get your heart ready for his answer. And listen closely as we close. The best way you can do that is to pray like Jesus prayed in the garden. His prayer was not whatever you want. He said, here's what I want. Uh, if you can take this cup from me, I'm for it. Nevertheless, I have acknowledged my will. I'm laying it down. Not my will, but yours be done. Listen to me. Too many Christians, I'll say, what's your desire in this? I just want whatever God wants. You ever heard people talk like that? And when people say, I just want whatever God wants, I go, <coughs> liar. Because I've been that way myself. For years, when I was a young preacher, and people say, where would you want to go preach? Wherever God wants me to preach. And you know what? He would open doors. And I'd always tell those churches no, because they were too small. And he took me through a journey. My wife will tell you, it was a process he took us through. where we, He finally ended up moving us from a church of 2,000 to a church of 50. To get us to the point where we would honestly say, whatever he has in mind is what I want. And that's where the principles of a God-centered church book came from. And the journey began as he began to show me. I said, I'll go wherever God wants me to go, go, do whatever he wants me to do. And he had to take me through a process to show me that wasn't the case. Folks, you want to hear the will of God? You were wrestling on a question? Take some time before you stop saying whatever you want, God, and say, here's what I want. And then lay it down. And watch him answer. By the way, as you were going to see, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't ready for the answer. But he's going to be. I love you guys. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming.